Let's go to the Lord, <clears throat> the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, once again we come before you and thank you for this day that you've given. Thank you for watching over and keeping us by your grace and power. Thank you for loving us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, we love you because you first loved us. And we thank you for giving us faith For we know that all men have not faith. And it is that gift that has been given to us by Thy divine sovereign wisdom and power. Help us to appreciate Your great salvation Help us to sanctify You in our hearts and help us to live as we ought, as we live out our lives in this which has often been described this low ground of sin and sorrow. Someday we will lay this body down. We'll depart and be with Christ. And then we will come back and reclaim this body, only it then will be sinless. It will be sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a mortal body, raised an immortal body. Sown a sinless body, I mean, sown a sinful body, and raised a sinless body. May that day be soon. Yea, we cry with John as he closed out his epistle on the Isle of Patmos, come quickly. Yea, Lord, come quickly. Now we pray that you would bless us as we study your word a little more and to try to comprehend that that you would have us to know. In Jesus' name, Amen. Coming back to John, 1 John, 
first epistle of John, chapter 3, we are looking, taking up at verse 14, which we closed out and made some closing remarks about this word no, and which we said this morning that we would come back and take this up again this afternoon so that the same uh, information would be available in, in both discourses. Because uh, though you get a double dose of it, uh, maybe people there on the internet might only hear it one time, so we think it would be good to uh, repeat as we have emphasized many times before, uh, good uh, teaching is repetition. Repetition. Uh, it is said in teaching a child in school that something needs to be repeated seven times before they begin to catch on. And uh, which cor- corresponds with uh, Isaiah uh, 28 when it talks about line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. In fact, the little book that I have at home written by a man by the name of Gregory on uh, educational teaching and everything, a lot of it is uh, humanism, but he had in his last chapter he made a good uh, uh, cars, uh, a good analogy using that in Isaiah 28 with regard to repetition. And that's the same that it is with all of us. The more we uh, review something, the more we know. And uh, it'll come, it'll stick in our minds. You know, you read the Bible through one time, you get a few things here and there, but after you've read it through uh, 20 or 30 times, uh, a lot of things come together that uh, you miss uh, the first time. And uh, at one time, uh, I read 10 chapters a day, which by doing that, you would read through the Bible three and a third times in a year. But even then, I would come across things that I had underlined from previous readings and said, well, I forgot that was there. <laughs> and yet, it had to be there and I had to read it because I underlined it. And uh, But anyway, uh, it doesn't bother me to, uh, uh, to repeat things. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. And we pointed out this morning and point out again that 1 John has the word know some 30 some odd times. I think it's 32, maybe 33 times. And it comes from these two Greek words. One is gnosko and the other is ido. Ido is probably uh, uh, translated more to see than anything else. 
And you say, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, it does too, because sometimes people will tell us something, and what do we say? We don't say, oh, I know. We say, oh, I see. <laughs> you know, I understand. And so you can see how that it is that way. As you see, I just used it that way. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Gnosko uh, means to learn, to know, to come to know, to get a knowledge of, uh, to know, to understand, perceive, uh, to become acquainted with, and, and so on. And the, this word, Ido, is to perceive with the eye, that is to have an understanding with the senses. There's a man by the name of Kenneth Wiest that uh, has a good book that I would recommend for anybody that wanted to do any study of the words in the New Testament called an expository dictionary of New Testament words. He said in that the differences between Gnosko and Ido demands consideration. A. Gnosko frequently suggests inception of, of progress in knowledge, with Ido suggests fullness of knowledge. And then he gave uh, John 8.55, which we read this morning. I'd like to turn there and read that uh, passage to us again that shows the distinction, a little small distinction, in these two words. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8 and verse 55, Jesus said, talking to the Jews, Ye have not known Him. That is, told the Jews, they had not known the Father. Well, let's read verse 54 to get the context somewhat. Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him. But I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. And we pointed out that this word that's used four times, know, you know, known the first time, know the other three times. The first time known is that Greek word, gnosko. But the other three words is the Greek word, ido. You say, well, why are you making such a, uh, uh, going into such detail on that insignificant thing? Well, I believe, as I have said many times, that God meant what He said. And when God inspired the writers to use two different words in the same verse, He wants us to know that there is a distinction in the two knowledges. And this first word for know is kindly uh, learning by precept, and the second word is a more intimate 
knowledge of and a more, uh, we might say, experimental knowledge. I gave the example this morning, and I'll give it again uh, today, or this afternoon, that by reading a book uh, by Gnosko, I know, I learn, that uh, electricity will shock me particularly if I touch uh, a hot wire and I'm well grounded. And uh, uh, I made this distinction uh, sometime back in a, uh, in a, uh, a message, in a sermon. Back when I was a boy, most of the time, I could walk up to an electric fence and grab a hold of it and watch the muscle in my arm pulsate, and uh, I could stand the shock. And being a teenage boy and uh, kind of a smart aleck, as a lot of us are, were, uh, I was working with one of my neighbors one time. We were hauling silage, and uh, we were out there around his silo. We We used an underground silo, which was a, big hole in the ground, a long hole in the ground. And uh, my job was, every time they brought a load in, was take the tractor and pack it down. But anyway, he had an electric fence around that to keep the livestock out. And uh, one morning, I was going to show him how I could hold on to electric fence and, and uh, uh, bear, bear the pain and everything. But I didn't realize that the ground was really wet with dew. And so I grabbed the electric fence, but it didn't take me long to realize I needed to let it go. <laughs> uh, I got a good shock, and, uh, and rightly so. So that was one I didn't hold on to very long. But the thing about it, what I used this morning is, you know, you know that if you touch an uh, electric fence or a hot wire, that you're going to get shocked. But when you grab a hold of that wire and get shocked, you really know it. And that's the difference between Gnosko and Ido. Ido is a more intimate knowledge of that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, vote. And, uh, And I also know that by experience, that working with electricity and being shocked either by 120 or a 240 volt in the house or working on a lawnmower, typically with 2,000 to 3,000 volts uh, on a small engine or a car, it sure makes a difference. It's not the volts that hurt you as much as it is the amps, really. But uh, you learn that. Uh, hopefully that will give you uh, somewhat, and particularly in John 8, uh, 55, when Jesus said, uh, Yet ye have not known Him, telling those Pharisees they haven't known God. They don't really know Him. Uh, but He said, but I know Him. 
In other words, Jesus knows God the Father a whole lot better than we do. He not only knew how much, he not only knew God a lot better than those Pharisees, he knows the Father a lot more than us Christians. Or maybe I should say we Christians, depending on your grammar. But anyway, uh, so you see that the idol carries a more poignant understanding uh, than what we have here. Uh, also, with uh, this word Ido, look in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Verse 39, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on Him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. But drop down to verse 42, And said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard Him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. In verse 42 is the word Ido. They knew that He was the Messiah from her testimony. But then when God had opened their hearts, they said, now we see for ourselves. Now we know for ourselves. In John 10, verses 4 and 5, And when He putteth forth His own sheep, He goeth before him, before them, and the sheep follow Him, for they know His voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. There you see the word Ido again, where our Lord uses this word more, a stronger word of showing that our knowledge, a Christian's knowledge of God is far more than the world's knowledge of God. The Christian's knowledge of Christ is far more intimate than that natural knowledge that the world might know about Jesus. You know, during, uh, during the, uh, certain seasons of the year, there's much to do about Jesus in a manger. But to the Christian, it's not just a little child in a manger by the name of Jesus. He's my Lord and my Master.
He's my God in the flesh. And so on. And the reason that we know is because of the fact that we have been born again by the Spirit of Almighty God. You know things that the world doesn't know. And we could enlarge upon that, but let's try to keep this in context uh, with our First uh, John 3. We know that we have passed from death unto life. The child of grace not only knows that he's passed from death unto life by what the Scriptures say, but he knows that he, we, have been, we have passed from death unto life by what we have and do experience. Because we love the brothers. We have been born again. Now, listen, beloved. A trap that many Christians fall into in trying to gain assurance of their salvation is by looking into themselves. Let me say to you quite candidly, you will never find true assurance by looking into yourself. You know why? Because when you look at yourself, you're looking at a sinner. In us, what, what is it that Paul said in Romans 7? For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And when you get to looking at yourself, you'll either be puffed up with pride, which is wrong, or you'll see that you're such a sinner and you have to labor with this sin and against that sin and fight against another sin and wrestle against a different sin. And you know, it, you might get, you might fly off the handle uh, unnecessarily at one minute and the next minute you might be uh, thinking ill of someone and the next minute you may be gossiping and the next minute you, who knows what. And you keep looking into yourself and seeing if you can find enough good in yourself that God would accept you and all you can see is sin. We walk by faith and not by sight. Say, so what do you mean by that? We go by the truth of the Word of God, not by our feelings. 
And when you're trying to find assurance in yourself and in your feelings, you will never find that. You know, notice what it says here in 1 John. We know we have passed unto, from death unto life because we love the brethren. It didn't say because we feel good toward the brethren. It didn't say because we like the brethren. Some of you live together. And you love each other. But I guarantee you there are certain days, at least once a week, maybe often, that one will do the other that you don't like. And you might tell the other one about it, and that, and, and and the next thing you know, you've forgotten it. But the point is, we're sinners, and we rub each other the wrong way. Uh, Y'all think pretty good about me, but you're only around me one day a week for the most part, <laughs> and that's probably a good thing. <laughs> But you get what I'm driving at. You don't go by your feelings. You go by what you do. By what you do. I'll diverse here for just a moment to that classic passage in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemies. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Huh? Now notice, it did not say, Feel good about your enemies. It said, Love them. In other words, you have to exhibit it or exercise and action. Let's keep on reading. We'll come back to this. Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? If ye be therefore perfect, even as your be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So you say, well, how am I to love my enemies? I, I, he's an enemy of mine, and I sure don't like him. Well, let me say, let me put it this way. If you're driving down the road and you see your enemy in the, in the ditch, you may not like him. 
You may want to drive by and leave him in the ditch. But if you love him, you'll stop and pull him out of the ditch. In other words, you're doing good toward him. That's love. You don't have to like him. He might still be uncorrigible. He might not even say thank you. He might even uh, say something hateful to you. But you exercise love by stopping and doing Him good. You know, sometimes a husband and wife will come in, they might want to do some counseling, and they say, well, you know... You ask them what's wrong, say, well, we just don't love each other anymore. I said, well, uh, you need to learn to love them. Well, I, I just don't love them. Well, the Bible says, love your neighbor, and that's the closest one to you, so you're obligated to love your neighbor. Well, I don't, I don't want to do that. It might be my neighbor, but uh, he or she's my enemy. Well, the Bible says, love your enemies. And I won't turn there, but in Titus chapter 2, it tells the older women to teach the younger women to teach them to learn to what? Love their husbands. Love their children. See, love can be learned. It's an action. It's a verb. And so these these two people, it's like not too long ago, well, it's been a couple of years ago, I guess now, uh, a man uh, came to me and he said, well, said, uh, uh, I married this woman and, and I shouldn't have married her. That It was wrong for me to marry the woman and, and I really don't love her and and so I'm just going to divorce her. I said, you don't have any right to divorce that woman. Well, it was a mistake. I said, all right, let's say it was a mistake. But I said, in the providence of God, you're married. In the providence of God, you're married, right? Yeah. I said, what does God say that you're to do to your wife? You're to love your wife. The Bible commands you to love your wife. It didn't command you to divorce your wife. It commanded you to love your wife. Well, he didn't listen to me. He went ahead and did what he wanted to do. But he, he, didn't, have any, he didn't have any reason. She was good to him. I mean, he admitted she was good to him. He admitted he there was no reason for him to uh, divorce her. And yet this man professes, still today professes, professes to be a Christian. I think he's deceived according to the, what the Bible says. Not, it's not a matter of how he feels. It's a matter of what God's Word says. And so, uh, 
And we have to look at love that way. Love is not a feeling first. We know we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Obviously, obviously, all Christians don't feel the same way to each other. You say, well, what do you mean? All right. If you have a congregation of people, the the husband and the wife, don't you think they feel more intimate with each other than they do the rest of the members? Why, naturally. And do not, supposedly, do not children and parents have a closer and intimate relationship with each other than the parents and the children do with the other families? Why, naturally. So you see that we're not talking about feeling. That's feeling but a congregation of people that love each other, they're willing to go out of their way to help each other regardless of the situation. In other words, if family A needed $100, all the rest of the families will be equally willing to give what is needful for that one family to have $100. In other words, they would be as thankful to give. Well, I don't know how to say what I want to say. Uh, I hope you get the point, though. That love is not a feeling. Now, there can be feeling in love. Don't get me wrong with that. But it doesn't start there. It starts with giving of oneself to the point of sacrifice. Notice this, John 3.16, everybody knows how to quote it. Most people don't know what it means because uh, John 3.16 is not saying, if you will believe, then you will have eternal life. John 3.16 is only saying, if you believe, you already have it. So God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth, whosoever in present tense is believing, has eternal life. Not will have. He already has it. That's all John 3.16 saying. But anyway, notice what John 3.16 does say. God so loved that He what? Gave. He gave His Son. Paul said in uh, Galatians 2.20, Christ loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul wasn't denying that uh, Christ loved other people. But He said He loved me. 
How do I know He loved me? He gave Himself for me. Philippians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the, the congregation or the assembly, the ecclesia. In other words, give of yourself. Give of yourself. We know we have been born again because, not if, because we love the brethren. You know, John 13 34, I believe, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. But you know how that's usually quoted? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another, but it's to another. See, I could say with this cup, I've got some water for you. Well, that, that sounds good. But it doesn't do you any good until I say, here's some water I'm going to give to you. By this shall all men know that you're my disciple. If you have love one to another. One to another. Christian love is giving of oneself even to the point of sacrifice if need be. Now that doesn't mean giving to the Christian that you like. Any Christian. There are some some Christians that you might not like. Their ways kind of rub you the wrong way. Think about that. By this shall all men know that you're my disciple. Or we know that we have passed. I keep getting John 13, 34 mixed up with it. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Y'all have heard me that hear me on a regular basis give this example before, but I'll give it again because it fits so so clearly. Back when I was uh, pastoring with uh, Brother Guest in Memphis, we had some young men in the congregation that thought maybe they were called to preach. And so occasionally we would let them speak before the, the, the audience. And one Sunday evening, there was a young man that gave an excellent, an excellent sermon on Christian love. When the congregation was over, one of the deacons uh, stood up in the back and said, Brethren, I would like for us men to meet 
in the in the kitchen after the service is over with. And so we all met back there. And what it was, there was one of the members in the in our congregation that needed money for a house payment. And the brother thought instead of going into our regular treasury that maybe we men could come up with enough money out of our pockets to come up with this house payment and not have to dip into the treasury because at that time we weren't uh, floating in, in currency. And so uh, we did. But this young man that gave an excellent message on Christian love said, well, I'm not going to give him anything because he got himself into that mess and he needs to get himself out. Well, I, I believe the brother, not the one that gave the message, the brother in need, I believe he did get himself into the mess. But that's not the point. The point is, a brother was in need. Now that man that gave an excellent message on love, he didn't show any love whatsoever. In fact, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Eventually that man left the congregation because the congregation didn't do things like he wanted. To me, it just manifested what was already there. You say, well, are you saying he's not a child of God? I'm just saying what this verse says, and I'm going to leave it with God. And frankly, as far as I was concerned, until he repented of his attitude, uh, I know I didn't like him, and I didn't want to be around him because he had no love for his brother. But those who give and give accordingly, they might they might have woken up, awakened on Monday morning, kind of feeling down in the mully grubs, as I say, and thought they were not a child of God. But according to their action Sunday night, they 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 showed and gave evidence that they were born of God because they loved their brother. They showed it by their action. That's what John is telling us. How do I know I love my brother? Do I show it by my action? You say, well, I might help somebody that I think is my brother and is not. Maybe I'm helping somebody that doesn't deserve it. Well, you might not know, but you need to do what you think God would have you to do and leave it with God. There have been people that are on the street now that occasionally I've helped. There have been some that I haven't. And when I haven't, I have to ask myself, Lord, am I having the right spirit or not? But I know one thing, 
if I can give it and leave it with God, that's better than not doing anything at all. I'm not telling you what to do or how to do. Uh, an incident comes to mind. This was probably a couple of years ago now. There was a woman and an older lady in Walmart parking lot. They needed, said they needed some gas to get home and gave me this long spiel and so on and so forth. And uh, uh, So I gave them some money. A couple of three weeks later, I was at a gas station filling up my car with gasoline. Here come this woman giving me the same spiel. I said, you gave me that spiel in the Walmart parking lot so-and-so ago. I'm not going to do it today. <laughs> she turned around, walked back to her car, and got in and drove off. <laughs> you know, you never know. But it's better to be taken advantage of, most likely, than to not have a Christ-like spirit. You know, everybody that Christ helped didn't always come back and thank Him, did they? He healed ten lepers. Only one came back. Judas was his friend. He did a lot of good things for Judas, but he betrayed him. We might get taken advantage of, but let us if we err, let us try to err on the side of mercy. Let us try to err on the side of mercy. I'll close in one other example that I thought was really, really good. This was several years ago here at Covenant, <clears throat> there was a family that drove up and said they were in need, needed some gasoline to get home. And uh, uh, we didn't know exactly how to handle that situation. And uh, brother, um, a man that was a member here at that time uh, named Doug Pounds, I thought he exercised some great wisdom uh, at that time. Uh, we had already eaten, and so we grabbed up a bunch of sandwich materials and gave the family something to eat and then drove him down to the gas station here and put some gasoline in his car. Didn't give them the money. Gave them, put some gasoline in the car. Mm -hmm. And they were quite thankful very congenial, didn't act like they begrudged anything. You know, a lot of times they said, well, I won't give you the money, but I'll go put the money, gasoline in your car. A lot of times they said, no, forget it. Mm -hmm. I thought that was handled quite well. You know, it, it takes wisdom sometimes to know how to do certain things. But there should not be any question 
with loving our brothers. This is what John is emphasizing here. Not the world. He didn't say we know that we have passed from death unto life because we created a food bank. We know we have passed from death unto life because we went down and cleaned out Skid Row. There may be a place for that. I'm not saying there's not. But he said because we love the brethren. The brethren. You know the old saying, where does charity start? At home. At home. Among the brethren. Among our own. Congregational unity. Congregational love. Well, we'll stop there. And uh, Lord willing, enlarge on some of the verses below next time. Let's pray. Holy Father, give us wisdom, we ask. And everything else that is needed in ministering to our brethren. And where others may come into the picture, we ask the same for that as well. By nature, we're selfish. Oh, some people have a more generous spirit than others. We recognize that. But help us to love as You would have us to love that we might have the assurance of our salvation. But help us to do or love as we ought just for the sake of wanting to do that, not just to have the assurance. If we do right, I believe the, the assurance will come. So help us to have the balance and know how to balance it all out. In Jesus' name, Amen.